The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. I'm on with my friend George, uh, or you know, we're going to call him George because again, like I said earlier, we're gonna we're gonna do this anonymously. But <clears throat> you know, um, basically, George is currently a vice president although soon to be director hopefully um by the end of this week fingers crossed but george is a good friend who's a vice president who currently works at a top one of the top bulge bracket banks out there okay and uh i had to ask george to do me a favor and hop on here today and and talk to me and talk to you guys and so um you know i'm going to be interviewing george and asking him some questions about his, uh, his career and just recruiting advice and things that I think would be helpful for you guys. But look, guys, as we're going through this interview and as you're listening to the conversation, if you guys have any questions, if you have any questions for George, drop it down in the comments. And I'm monitoring the comment section. There will be a little bit of a lag. But when I see your questions, um, I'll try to uh, ask George for you so that he can you know, give you his honest opinion about, you know, whatever advice that he might have for you. Okay. So this is a very, um, this is a rare opportunity for you to just, you know, really get genuine advice from an investment banker, because look, honestly, usually when you talk to bankers, like if you're networking with bankers and you ask them a question, most bankers probably have to be, you know, there's certain things that they're just not going to tell you. Right. And so, like you may or may not be getting the raw unfiltered truth, I guess. And so we're going to try to do that for you today. Um, but George, are you, are you there? You, you can hear me okay. And hopefully everything's working technology wise. Yep. I can hear you, Sam. Awesome, man. Well, look, thank you for taking the time. It looks like people can hear us. So we're good. We're live in the Facebook group. Um, if you don't mind, why don't we start by just like, if you can give a quick introduction about who you are and just, your background and things like that. So people have context and then that'll probably also help them frame their questions later on. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, thanks for the interest, Sam. Appreciate it. Um, and obviously, uh, virtually nice to have everyone listening in and, and please send questions as, as you have them, we'll try to answer, um, to the best that I can at least. Um, but by way of background, um, so I graduated from, from Cal on the West Coast and was making a decision, I think much like many of you about where I wanted my career to go. Um, finance was always interesting and at least I thought no better way to get, you know, a real great understanding of finance, financial concepts, to do it quickly, to do it in a dynamic environment surrounded by talented people um, than to, than to try investment banking. Um, candidly, I didn't have a summer internship. Uh, I'm sure some of you guys are, are thinking about summer internships. I did not have one, um, but was still able to, to break into the field, if you will, as a, as a full-time analyst. And this was coming out of, you know, 08, 09, the great recession. So it was, it was a volatile time. It was a volatile time for banks, wow. uh, an unpredictable time as well. Um, so it wasn't the easiest path, but, you know, I think with, with the type of help that you're getting from Sam, the type of studying you're doing, that is going to be incredibly instrumental, um, in terms of securing those jobs with the banks that you want. Um, you know, by, go ahead, go ahead. Did you have a question? No, 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 sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'll I'll let you go. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, I guess this will probably be helpful to folks, but as I was making my decision, I really focused on banks that fell into, you know, uh, at that point, at least the bulge bracket category. And I can't say there was a lot of science around it. I just thought that would give me the best and the broadest experience. 
I was solving for kind of being a generalist as opposed to a specific group. I didn't know if there was a specific group that was more interesting than the next. So generalist is what I was solving for. And I was solving for people that, you know, I kind of clicked with and that I could see myself working well with and, uh, and learning from. Um, and so I had, you know, again, I didn't have the internship, but when I was recruiting for full-time uh, via the career center and via kind of some elbow grease and some hustle, got some internship, got some, excuse me, interviews and, and was able to um, fortunately land at, at a bulge break that um, they gave me, that checked a lot of those boxes that I mentioned earlier. Um, from there, my, kind of, my path is a little bit unusual. I'm sure folks might have questions about this, but I was an analyst uh, for two years and then followed a very traditional path where, you know, you, a bunch of headhunters, a bunch of recruiters reach out to you and, and, and talk to you about the next step, that next step being a mix of private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, et cetera. Um, I took probably the most common of those paths, which is um, the private equity path. Um, and so after my two years as an analyst at a bank, I spent um, two years at a private equity firm. Uh, but what I realized after that is, um, is I kind of missed, and, and this is where some of you may say this is an unusual path, but I missed, um, I missed the work that I was doing on the banking side. Frankly, I missed the people um, that I had been working with who had become mentors and teachers for me. Uh, I missed how dynamic it can be where, you know, you do a deal, you learn about a new company, a new business, perhaps a new industry. Um, and then, you know, you move and, and you do a different deal. Uh, and it could be something completely different from an industry and a product perspective. So I missed that um, and, and actually had the opportunity to, um, to go back to a bank um, and to be an associate at that point. And um, have been doing that since uh, and have now been, you know, in the prof in finance kind of over 10 years, um, as Sam mentioned, vice president um, and hopefully moving on to the director level, fingers crossed there. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of been the progression. I'm happy to talk about the different steps uh, yeah. along the way from associate to VP as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, thanks for that. Uh, really great introduction. Um, so I, uh, I have so many questions already <laughs> based on what you just said. <laughs> so I guess the first question that I want to ask, and again, guys, if you guys have your own questions, feel free to drop them in the comments and I'll try to get to them as well. But here are my questions. Um, first things first, you mentioned that you didn't have a junior summer internship in college or, or maybe you did, but just not in banking. Um, but you were still able to break in for full time, uh, even even during like the 0809 timeframe, which is, you know, like the peak of the financial crisis. And so I'm sure like the job market back then was pretty, pretty tough. Um, how were you able to do that? Or like, you know, what, what were you doing during summer? And then like, how, how were you able to pull that off? Because uh, at least nowadays, and I think this was the case back then too, obviously, and you're a VP, so you probably know this, like most of the full-time offers typically go to summer interns that are coming back, right? Like they do a good job during the summer internship and they get a full-time offer to return. And so usually there's not a, there's not a lot of spots left for full-time recruiting and some groups don't have any spots left. Is that right? Yeah, look, it's, it's a very good point. Uh, nowadays that very much feels like the framework where summers, summer analysts come in, interns come in, they do their summer, um, and assuming they do a good job, there's a spot allocated for them from a full-time perspective. But again, look, that's, that's not, um, not always the way it goes. Sometimes people do a summer and decide that group or that culture wasn't a fit for them. They go elsewhere and a spot opens up uh, for a full-time candidate where the bank will kind of have to scramble and go through the, you know, interviewing at schools, interviewing elsewhere to, to fill that spot. That happens frequently. Sometimes you have the situation where, you know, you have X number of summer analysts, uh, but then full-time spots you learn at the end of the summer, you've got more spots um, than you, than you initially thought. Obviously that's a great position to be in. doesn't always happen, but you get situations like that as well. Um, in, in, you know, in my particular case, I had a summer internship, but it was more, 
valuation focused. Um, and so not at a bank, but more kind of valuation advisory. Okay. Uh, and look, I was able to translate that and explain that as I got the technical uh, quantitative and qualitative experience at a summer, proved that I could work hard and got a return offer, but realized that for me, I wanted a little bit more of the you know, fast paced dynamic environment mm. uh, and an environment where you're close to the client, where you're providing advice to a client and, um, and, and, and you're the trusted advisor to that client. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of how I, you know, transferred that internship, which wasn't a banking internship into ultimately a banking seat as an analyst. Got it. Okay. So basically if I break that down for just the students that are listening right now, what you did was um, you play to your strengths and you emphasize like, Hey, I still got all the technical knowledge and the, and the skill set that's needed to do the job. Um, and you got the return offer. So it wasn't like, uh, basically you're very capable, but you're looking and you had a good experience, but what you're looking for is something even better or, uh, more client facing and where you, you're actually like on the front lines working with these companies, as opposed to maybe just doing the valuation work behind the scenes, essentially. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and then, you know, for finding those, interviews, me personally, uh, and I know some of this has changed over the years, but me personally, I worked through our, you know, career center, career services site, and, and, and also networking, uh, which, you know, a lot, a lot of you guys are doing alongside Sam's help, but, but doing the networking to, to figure out where there are opportunities and spots and being very proactive about reaching out to people at those institutions. Got it. Got it. Okay. Awesome. And so look, guys, um, for those of you, obviously, look, um, if you can get an investment banking internship for your junior summer, you should absolutely try to do that because that's always going to be the easiest way in, right? Like, like, like George just talked about, like you, you get the summer internship and you get a return offer for full time. But even if you can't get a banking uh, internship for junior summer, um, then just try to get the next closest or most relevant experience you can. Like in this case, you know, George did a valuation internship, which is, still highly relevant because you're, you're working on valuation all the time when you're in banking, right? And then you just have to be able to uh, spin that experience in a way that, um, you know, makes the banker uh, view you as someone who's, you know, capable for the job, right? Um, in your experience, George, like now that you've been in banking for so long, like for every, uh, I mean, I don't know how big your analyst classes are each year, but like say for every 10 full-time analysts that you guys hire, Roughly how many of those analysts came from your summer intern class, would you say? Yeah, I'd say, um, I'd say, uh, you know, 10, 10 is probably stretches across two to three years. Um, depends on the group, obviously, but, but probably 75 to sometimes, some, sometimes higher. There, there are years where it's a hundred percent. There are years where it's, you know, maybe 70%. Um, I'd say, you know, over the last couple of years, I've usually seen at least one spot where, again, someone decided to go elsewhere for after their summer, or it just didn't work out. And so a spot opens up and, uh, and we go and find a candidate that hasn't interned with us before. Got it. Okay. But sounds like it's the vast majority. Vast majority. Three, yeah. Three, four, sometimes even the entire class will be, will be taken by summer. And so again, guys, not to belabor the point, but, uh, if you can try to get the summer internship, that's going to give you the highest probability of getting in. Right. Um, yeah. The other thing that I want to talk about too, is like, there's this trend that we've been noticing where the summer internship recruiting process has been moving up earlier and earlier every single year. Well, I mean, maybe, I don't know what's going to happen this year because of COVID and all that. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't know if you're able to share, but um, like, RBC, for example, already opened up their summer 2022 applications back in September, right? Like, I don't, I don't know why they went so early, but like, is that a trend that you see continuing um, going forward? Uh, maybe this year's an anomaly. I don't know, but like, because at some point it's got to stop, right? Like at some point you guys are going to be recruiting high school students. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's honestly mind boggling. Um 
you know, just from my experience, I really didn't know that much about finance and banking until pretty far along in college. And now sometimes I feel like I'm talking for some of these positions to a freshman in college uh, <laughs> about, about, <laughs> about their dream job and why they're interested in banking. It's really interesting. But I, I totally agree with you, Sam. It's gotten earlier and earlier. Frankly, there's no more like we're going to start on this date and higher it's kind of even on a rolling basis like seasons open if we see a good candidate maybe we just bring them in and take them through the process um if they're truly worthy and uh and see if we can pick them off uh mm -hmm. but i see it you know continuing to get earlier and earlier um so never hesitate to start and to start networking and to start chasing uh, uh those opportunities because that's exactly the trend wow okay do you have any sense for, because uh, I'm sure a lot of people that are watching, they're probably gunning for a summer 2022 junior internship. Like any sense for when things might kick off this year? Yeah. Um, I, you know, if RBC is already out there, um, then, um, then I'd say, I'd say, and I'm trying to remember what we've done, but I'd say moose. Yeah, I'd say it's it's on. I'd say it's on. I think um, you're you're gonna probably see postings and job postings, job opportunities now uh, yeah. for people trying to fill. Again, we're talking about a year and a half from now. The world could be in a different place, but definitely right. uh, 18 months out. I think people are are focused on it. Yeah, I mean, so far, I think RBC is the only one that I have seen for the last few months, and then actually yesterday. I'm always on the lookout for these type of things. Yesterday, I noticed uh, a job posting for uh, Deloitte Corporate Finance for summer 2022 also. And so that was the second one I've seen. So my guess personally, and this is just a guess because I don't work at these banks anymore, obviously, but my guess is that a lot of the a lot of these banks are going to gradually start to come out um, probably, you know, in the next month or two, but definitely in the spring semester. Um and typically what we find uh, is that a lot of the elite boutiques will try to jump the gun first. Uh, and then like some of the bold bracket uh, banks will, will, will go earlier. Some go later, like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, they typically wait until the summer, at least the last two years or so. That's what they've done. I think JP Morgan goes in June and Goldman Sachs goes in uh, July. But regardless, it's like, a, like you said, it's an ongoing process. Recruiting kind of starts in our experience second half of sophomore year all the way through maybe the first half of junior year and that's kind of the window if you yep. want to get into at least like a bulge bracket elite boutique or let's say middle market bank right like one of the more reputable banks right um of course if you want to work out like a just like a small regional boutique or something then you could take longer you can you can recruit all the way up until until your junior summer but most people that we come across they're trying to get into say one of the top 20 top 30 banks. And so that's kind of the timeline that we've seen. Um, you mentioned too, by the way, uh, you know, not too early to start networking. One question that we get from students a lot is like, when should they start networking? Like, is there such a thing as starting too early? Like, should you start freshman year? Should you stop, stop or start sophomore year? Like junior year presumably is too late based on the recruiting timeline that we just talked about. But like, what do you think is the, is the right time to start? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I think, uh, and it's hard because I'm a firm believer in enjoying the college experience, but, but obviously things have changed a little bit and <laughs> you have to focus on your career earlier. No, um, you're not allowed to enjoy college. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say maybe, you know, spend a good amount of time freshman year just figuring out what you want to do and learning a little bit more if banking is what you want to do, learning a little bit more about banking, what the different kind of banks offer, what type of industry groups, uh, presence, geographic presence, maybe think a little bit about geography, where you want to be. Do you want to be in New York at the headquarters? Do you want to be in a regional office, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Texas, for example, internationally do that kind of thinking. And, um, I'd go through the school networks. Uh, so upperclassmen maybe that already have jobs or, uh, or, or alumni that are connected to the school. And, uh, and don't, be hes don't be hesitant to reach out, send an email and say, look, I'd love just honestly 10 minutes of your time to learn a, a little bit more about what you do, about your group, uh, about your presence, your footprint. 
And look, you know, the hard thing about those types of, especially going out to older alumni is sometimes people won't respond. Um, but sometimes they do. And uh, you send 10 emails, you get one response and, and you're off to the races. And that's a good conversation you can have. Don't be shy about sending those emails. Yeah. Um, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, if, if, you know, spend a little bit of time thinking about what you want to do, where you want to end up and then, and then do the outreach and, yeah. uh, and try to do some of the networking. What about for, what about for students? Cause a lot of the students that are probably listening to this. They don't go to a target school um, and maybe they don't have a lot of alumni that are already working in banking. Like what, what advice would you have for students like that in terms of, you know, maybe who they should be reaching out to or how they can be reaching out or maybe like, having been, been on the other side of this networking process now, like I'm sure students reach out to you all the time, right? Yeah. Um, what makes you say like, and I'm sure you don't respond to every single one of them because you're probably super busy. So like, what would make you more likely to say, okay, I'm going to talk to this person and then I'm not going to talk to that person. Like what, sh- what are some things that they should be aware of or keep in mind to yeah. increase their conversion rate, so to speak? Yeah, good question. Look, and and I and I do my best. Um, you make a good point. I do my best to to kind of talk to folks that are reaching out, uh, but sometimes obviously things get too busy. Inbox gets, you know, crowded. You don't have time to respond, unfortunately. Or you're but, working on billion dollar deals and you just don't have time. Like, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but look, um, uh, I think regardless. Regardless of the school you go to, there's got to be, you know, a finance club, a banking club, maybe a consulting club even that um, that you should probably join and we'll have people with similar interests and you can talk to about networking. That club may have a senior advisor or a professor. I've seen this a lot of times that has some connections and, and knows some uh, either alumni or just has connections that he or she can put you in touch with. Um I know the bigger banks are actually making it a priority to kind of reach out to some non-target schools yeah. um, and, and, and diversifying the candidate pool that, that way. So I think that's beneficial into everyone's, um, you know, if you're from the non-target school, that certainly benefits you. You're talking um, about all the higher views and pie metrics and all this new stuff that the banks are implementing basically. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. And then again, look, you know, um, you know, I've had folks reach out to me from all sorts of schools uh, and we've had some incredible hires from, from all sorts of non-target schools. And so um, again, don't be shy about if, if you find someone that whether it's LinkedIn or some other way uh, and you find someone that you think you can form a connection with, or you have something in common or a friend in common, again, don't be shy about sending that uh, message. Worst case scenario um, is you get a no and, and you kind of got a hustle that way on the other end on the other side of the job you know on the banking side you know that's very much part of the job is you know you're trying to oftentimes pitch business and maybe you get to know that way so it's a skill set learning that skill set early is uh is important and again you may get get nine no's and nine non-responses but the 10th one someone offers you a very good conversation and a very good introduction got it okay that makes sense um so i guess Networking, obviously, super important nowadays. I mean, just given the number of applications that you guys receive, if you, if you don't network, like basically no one knows who you are and you're just kind of another piece of paper, right? Um, but, but so definitely do that regardless of whether you're from target school or non-target school. The other thing that I heard is like, look, you guys are actually making an effort to hire more non-target students Meaning, because look, like if I go on forums like Wall Street Oasis or Reddit or wherever it is that, you know, people get their information from nowadays, um, a lot of people would have you believe that, oh, if you don't go to Harvard or Stanford or Wharton or one of these schools and have a 4.0 GPA and, and, you know, have done three investment banking internships and this and that, then you can pretty much forget about it, right? Or that that's the impression that... Uh, well, that's the, the myth that's going around out there. A lot of, uh, I don't know, I, what I personally, in my experience, found to be bad information. Like, would you yeah. agree with that? Like, do you, I mean, because I think that even if you, you're a non-target school student, um, 
you can absolutely still get into investment banking. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be harder, but you can, you can get in if you play your cards right. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, totally agree. It's, it's, it is going to be harder, but um, you can certainly break through. And, and, and again, we've, some of our best hires have been from uh, non-target schools who have gone on post-banking to do amazing things and, and be very successful. Uh, but it is kind of in, you know, on you a little bit because, um, you know, that 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 job posting may not end up on your career services website. So you kind of got to position yourself uh, and 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 go out and fight to get that opportunity and to get that look. Yeah. Um, and again, I think joining the finance club is key um, and then tracking alumni. Any school, any school that, you know, even any non-target school is going to have alumni that ended up at a bank that, you know, you're interested in. If you just do a quick LinkedIn search, you can probably track them down. And yeah. even if you're reaching out to an MD, guess what? They may be really excited about the fact that they can bring someone on from their alma mater um, and have them join th that bank. So yeah. be thoughtful about those types. You, you may have a very good introduction in, in that method. You never know where your introductions are going to come from, to be honest. I mean, like I, I, some of our clients have had the most uh, unexpected intros uh, that they didn't even know they had those connections. And, uh, you know, I mean, part of what we do is also teach our clients, uh, at least on the networking side, like teach them how to go and uh, uncover these connections that they never knew they had. Right. Like I had a, I had a client that uh, just for this most recent recruiting cycle, um, he went through many, many interviews and kept getting to the super days. And, uh, he was really, really good. Like he knew his stuff. Cause I, I know, cause I, I did all his mock interviews and stuff, but, um, he was just like, always like this close to getting an offer, but he wouldn't get the offer. And then, uh, later on in the process, like months and months after he started recruiting, uh, he found out that he had a, um, he had a family friend his parents knew this guy who, I don't know how he didn't know this to be honest, but this guy who was like uh, CEO of a public company, he might be a billionaire, but if not, he's definitely worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like he's run multiple companies before taken all of them public. And uh, that's obviously a super powerful connection. Like that guy, he put in a, a couple emails uh, out to, you know, his, his bankers and was like, he literally was like, Hey, I need a favor. You need to interview this guy. <laughs> and literally, literally that he, he got the interview just, just from that one email. Right. And then of course he had to still perform during the interview. But like I said, he was, he was very qualified and he was good at interviewing. And I'm sure having that connection also helped because at the end of the day, it's a relationships business, right? Like bankers want to do, uh, do, do the guy a solid if they can, especially if, 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 what that means is it helps him hire someone who's qualified. And so like, he was like, at the end, he was like, man, I, I, I wish I had uh, discovered this guy much earlier on in the process because it would have made my life so much easier. So it's like, sometimes to your point, like you just don't know, you know, what, what those connections are going to turn into. Right. But like not leveraging those connections um, can sometimes be the difference between you getting the job versus not, unfortunately. <clears throat> Um, and so that, that's all, uh, that's all really great advice. Um, by the way, you, you, you talked about how, um, a lot of your analysts have gone on to do great things afterwards, even the ones coming from non-target schools. Um, you yourself, like you said earlier, left to go into private equity. And then you took the kind of like untraditional path of going back into banking, right? Cause I feel like a lot of people, <laughs> they're trying to get out of banking after two years, but you loved it enough to go back. And so can you talk a little bit more? And I know you kind of alluded to this already during your introduction, but please talk about like the having been on both sides now, having worked in PE and now you're back in banking and also having kind of like moved up through the analyst, associate, VP levels. There's like a lot of people that I know that did banking, they only know the analyst level, right? Like myself included. And so like, what are the, what do you see as kind of like the pros and cons of both sides? Cause I, I wouldn't say like 
banking is better or PE is better. There's no like better or worse. It's just different, right? Like, so what would you say are the pros and cons of working in banking versus in PE? Yeah, look, um, great question. Great question. Um, and again, it, it really depends uh, on your level. Um, you know, an analyst in banking versus, you know, an associate in private equity. Let's, let's just take that, for example. Look, I think an analyst in banking comes in and early on really needs to develop their skill set, their modeling skill set, their, you know, quant including quantitative and qualitative, their attention to detail, their ability to think dynamically, their ability to be creative around a page, a deck, um, an idea, et cetera. That, that's really, um, and then towards the end of those two years as an analyst or three years, um, if, if you're doing that extra third year, you kind of start to play as an associate where you're comfortable running down a process, uh, whether that's driving some aspect of a sell side or an M&A process or working internally with a capital markets team uh, to nail down terms or working internally with your credit team to conduct diligence, et cetera, et cetera. But as an analyst, you, towards the end of your analyst career, you become comfortable running uh, a process, quarterbacking a process, and you're essentially an associate or functioning as an associate. That's where you know, the, the, the really exceptional analysts, that's where they stand out. That's what they're able to do by the end of their analyst years. Um, compare that to you know, an associate in private equity. Well, guess what? That's the expectation. That's no longer a standout positive uh, 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 for, for, for that particular individual. That's the expectation is as an associate in private equity, you're now doing all of that. You're quarterbacking a process uh, in addition to thinking about um, how does this look in front of our, my investment committee? How do we do structuring around a particular deal? How do we do diligence? How do we work with lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. So that becomes the expectation. And then certainly after you know, an asset is acquired, on the private equity side, then your your hat changes a little bit, and and you switch into operations mode, and um, and different private equity firms do operations uh, at different levels. Some are much more hands on, some are less hands on, uh, but but potentially, you know, you could be on a daily basis talking to a CEO, a CFO, VP of finance, uh, COO about operations, how to optimize operations, how to, how to drive revenue. What are the key drivers of revenue? How do we pull specific levers? How do we enhance the margin profile? What do we do about real estate footprint, et cetera. And so you, you know, your responsibilities on a particular investment very much pivot um, as an associate in private equity An analyst uh, back on the banking side, you know, they, they'll do a deal and, um, and most likely after that deal, they'll move on to another deal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that could be, you know, if you're an industry group, likely in the same industry, but uh, probably potentially a different product. Maybe you did an IPO one day. Well, the next day you're thinking about a sell side. And then once that sell side's done, you're thinking about a financing. But every couple of months it switches, you know, your project switches and you get a little bit less of that continuity, uh, but much more diversity in terms of products mm -hmm. versus an associate in private equity, and particularly as you grow as an associate and beyond, you, you really stay with an investment your entire time yeah. from the initial investment through operations, through potentially an exit uh, once, once that private equity firm is ready to exit. So if I were to really sum it up, the way I usually try to describe it to people, I don't know if you agree with this, is I think of banking as um, going broad or going wide. And then I think of PE as more going deep, right? Like you're going really deep into one company or two companies, like whatever companies you end up acquiring, you, you get to know that company really, really well, know the management team really, really well. And you're like in the trenches working with them on the business. Whereas in banking, it's a lot more transactional where you're trying to do as many deals as you can. And then once you're done with the deal, you're moving on to the next deal, right? Whether it's with a different company or maybe it's a different type of transaction, like you said, like a capital raise versus an M&A deal or something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The one caveat I'll say is, you know, even in banking, especially if you're in, a, in an industry group over time, you will, you know, you'll also develop the industry experience and expertise. You'll understand the landscape, the different players, and you'll be able to talk very intelligently about that space and, and key drivers in that space. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, that's awesome. And so then you came back to banking after PE and then you went to the associate 
role and then you went through um you know now you're a vp and then by this time next week hopefully you'll be a director <laughs> right uh, fingers crossed for you there um how has your how has your responsibilities changed over time and then along with that like how has your skill set needed to change with it because obviously what you were doing as an analyst is different from what you did as an associate and what you did as an associate probably different than what you're doing as a VP now. And then even looking ahead, as you become a director, uh, yep. what you're doing is probably going to change again. Right. And so like, can you just talk about that a little bit? Like for people who are maybe thinking about banking, not just as like a to and out type of thing, and maybe they are considering doing it uh, longer term, like what do they need to be aware of? And then also as a follow-up to that, um, can you talk about, because uh, one of the biggest concerns that students always have, and this is maybe the, the, the part that they aren't able to ask bankers typically is the work-life balance, right? Like when you're networking a banker, you, you, you don't really want to ask about like the work-life balance because you don't want to seem like that guy who's lazy or whatever, but like yep. how has your work-life balance changed as you become more and more senior in banking? Can you talk about kind of those two things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, look on, on the first question, I think the, uh, about how your responsibilities evolve. I think that's the awesome part about investment banking is looking back, you know, in the last 10 years, 10 years plus in my career, I feel like every year and particularly uh, in banking every year, I've, my responsibilities have changed. You know, you come in as an analyst and that first year you're really learning and you're trying to learn as many different types of models, as many different types of, um, pitch books and bake-off books and processes. You're trying to learn the internal processes and really just get good um, at being an analyst. Then, and I I alluded to this earlier, your second year as an analyst, the analysts that really become exceptional are the ones that kind of transition a little bit into playing as associates where they can run a process down in addition to doing all the technical work, uh, the modeling, the deck uh, without any mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. Then, you know, as an associate, uh, and this, you know, obviously depends if you come in as an MBA into the associate seat, well, guess what? Your first year, you're, you're still doing a lot of that heavy <laughs> learning from a technical standpoint because you're a career switcher as well. Right. Uh, but if you were previously an analyst and all of a sudden you find yourself as an associate, well, now you got to break out of that shell a little bit of being the doer uh, on a model and transition into being a good reviewer transition into being a mentor, transition into being a good teacher for analysts to make sure that, you know, they're getting up to speed, they're building their skill set. You know, the next year as an associate, you're continuing to build that kind of quarterback skill set where now maybe you're working directly with an MD or sometimes just by yourself and you're running, you know, a process and people are turning to you, senior people are turning to you with key questions um, and status updates and uh, idea generation. So that's kind of the associate years. And then towards the end of your associate years into your VP years, you start to transition more into that idea generation uh, phase and more into the client facing phase where maybe there are clients that now you're building relationships, direct relationships with. Um, And certain potentially smaller clients that you're just really responsible for. Uh, and, and, and for bringing in business with those smaller clients. That, that really becomes kind of the VP years where you're starting that transition into much more of a client-facing role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look, director and MD, director is where you really prove out that you can uh, drive a new platform for the bank and uh, drive new revenue opportunities for the bank that maybe didn't exist before or nobody had time to look at before. Um, and you're establishing that platform for yourself. That's that's really where the director years are spent. Look, often as a director, you'll still be pulled in. Um, and certainly as a senior VP, you'll still be pulled into execution very much, uh, especially on like the bigger deals that are important to the firm. That'll very much be the case. Uh, but you're now at that level working towards, hey, how do I get to the managing director level where now I own relationships um, and I am kind of a, a senior partner at the firm. That's the progression in a nutshell to talk about work-life balance. Look, I mean, I think, I think a lot of the folks on the phone that are looking at banking are excited about it because they can get, you know, 
as we always say, the four years of experience in two years of being an analyst. Right. And that doesn't come, you know, working, uh, you know, the nine to five job. You're, you're going to work late. There will be weekends that um, will get blown up. Uh, there'll be long nights, but, you know, hopefully you'll have a good experience. You'll work on meaningful projects. And this comes back to picking the right place that you fit into. You're working with talented people who, you know, you get along with and you can joke with. Uh, I can give you advice, but also be lighthearted. Um, and, and, and actually that bullpen uh, feeling is, you know, Sam remembers it as well. It's exceptional because uh, yeah. you, you form friendships with people uh, and you're, you're in the thick of it together, but you form really long lasting friendships uh, together. So that's really valuable. Does your work-life balance get better over time? Yes, it does. Um, you know, I can't say that being an associate or a VP, it gets that much better, but it does get better in the sense that you can kind of manage your time a little bit more. And, you know, if you have plans to go take uh, you know, vacation or, or something you want to do on the weekend, it's a little bit easier to manage those plans. Um, uh, the one caveat I'll say is, is the, the more senior you get in an investment bank, I think the more time you spend traveling. And so the travel kind of uh, means that you're potentially away from your family and et cetera, et cetera. So that, that is one consideration. The other thing I'll add is I do think that, you know, even since Sam and I, you know, were analysts, I think that um, things have changed a little bit and all the banks are a little bit more focused uh, on doing a better job enforcing work-life balance, whether that means at certain banks protected Saturdays, at other banks uh, mandatory vacations, uh, at other, even other banks kind of having senior sign-off on certain projects. I think people are a lot more focused on making sure that analysts and associates and, and kind of the junior team has the protections in place to be able to maintain some level of work-life balance. Where was all that when we were analysts? <laughs> well, they, they, they were working towards it. They were working towards it. Those changes were in progress. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a couple of years too late, right? <laughs> um, but but that, that's all a great point. I think on the work-life balance, by the way, on the career progression thing, uh, just to kind of like, recap what you said i think earlier on in your banking career you're more of like the you're the analytical horsepower on the project you're building the models you're building the deck and you're 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 the tech you have to be really technical right and then like the more and it's kind of i think of it as a spectrum like the more and not that i've been in a managing director but i've worked with them as you move towards the more and more senior levels your job goes from more of like an analytical, which is why you're called an analyst, right? More of an analytical role to more of like a sales role, right? Like you're 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 interfacing with clients, you're pitching them on different ideas. You have to convince them why doing a certain deal with your bank is a good idea for their business. And so that skill set kind of changes. Like I know a lot of people that are that that would be very, very good analysts but they would be really, really shitty MDs, right? And vice versa, right? Would you say that's true? And like, not everyone is able to make that transition successfully, right? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. It's a different skill set. It's a much, at the senior levels, it's a much more sales focused skill set. Um, some people are, you know, a little bit called more born with it. Some people have to build that skill set. But I would look, I would argue as, I've, as I look back and as I look around the landscape of different types of job opportunities, Frankly, I think any job you go into, you know, obviously in Sam's point, banking as an MD, you're, you're very much a salesperson. Uh, but any senior position you go into, there is going to be an element of sales skills that you need to have. You know, in private equity, guess what? You need to sell a management team on uh, you in addition to paying the highest price, being, uh, being a good investor and being the right partner. You need to sell LPs on investing in your fund. Um, you know, a CEO is constantly in sales mode when they're talking to either investors or customers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that, that sales skill doesn't go away. I think really any job you, you take, whether it's finance, consulting, even, you know, entrepreneurship, et cetera, there's going to be an element of sales that as you, as you progress in your career, you'll need to pick up and, and, and kind of be good at. Got it. That makes sense. Um, I want to, I want to kind of like open, open it up for questions here. Cause I know I've been asking all the questions and hogging all the time, but, uh, um, and I see there's one question in the queue here from Zion, but, uh, for those of you that are, um, that are interested in asking questions, drop your questions down in the comments below. We'll try to get through as many as we can, but obviously I also want to respect George's time. 
Um, while you guys are doing that, just because there's a bit of a lag uh, in terms of when I actually see your comments show up, uh, I'll just do a little quick commercial break. Uh, and so for those of you that are new to the group and maybe not as familiar with what it is that we do at Wall Street Mastermind, essentially we're, we're very unique in that we help our clients uh, with everything they need from, from a recruiting standpoint from A to Z. So whether it's your application materials to teaching you how to network, to helping you prep for the interviews, whether it's behavioral interviews or the technical interviews, um, to helping you find internships to build up your resume, like whatever it is that you may need. Um, and we take more of a coaching model as opposed to like, this is not a course. This is not like, here's a PDF guide, go memorize these 400 questions. It's not like, you know, here's a, a financial modeling course, go watch a bunch of videos on your own. It's like, no, you're actually working with both me and some of the other people on my team uh, all former bankers from top banks to walk you through that process step-by-step, step, right? And so if that's something that you guys think you, you're interested in or you feel like you need that help, um, you know, go check out our website. It's wallstreetmastermind.com, uh, the streets abbreviated to ST. If you want to talk to our team to see if it's a good fit for us to help you, just because we don't work with that many people. Honestly, like in the, in the last three years or so, we, we've worked with about 300 students today. So it's not a lot. We're not working with like thousands and thousands of people. So uh, if you want to see if it's a good fit and if we can actually help you, um, you can also book a call with us at www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And again, the street is abbreviated to ST, right? So, um, and then, you know, we'll hop on and we'll learn more about your situation and see what it is that you need help with. And we'll, we'll let you know if we think we can help and how we can help. Or if not, then we'll at least give you some advice on what we think you should do. Um, or what we would do if we were you. Okay. So with that said, um, let me take a look at kind of like the questions we have in the queue here. Um, all right, George, you ready for some kind of rapid fire? Yep. Rapid yep. fire I'll add you're in great hands with, uh, with Sam, incredibly talented and knowledgeable guy. And, uh, and I've known Sam for many years. So you're in great hands uh, here. Thank you. I, I had to pay George to say that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, first question here is from Zion. Okay. So Zion asks, how are analysts adapting to work from home? So obviously we're in a unique time here with COVID. And also you mentioned earlier, like the more senior you get, uh, you're traveling a lot. So you're spending time away from my parents. I was speaking to another friend of mine who's actually an MD now. And she's saying she loves, uh, work during COVID because she doesn't have to travel anymore. Her hours are so much better as an MD without having to travel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a really relevant question and it's a really good question. Uh, hopefully by the time, you know, a lot of folks on the phone are in their seats the summers or full-time analysts, things are back to being in person. Uh, because I'll say this, look, I think the virtual environment is in fact hardest on a junior person just starting off their career in banking, frankly, any profession. But, but particularly in banking, I think it's hardest for a couple of reasons. One, you hit you know, your virtual desk, but you, well, first and foremost, you don't get that cultural kind of environment. You don't get the ability to sit in a bullpen where, again, you form these long lasting relationships. You can have interactions, you can joke around with people, but importantly, you can raise your hand and ask a question and have a fellow analyst come over, answer, walk you through a model, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one, you miss out on the culture. Two, I do think it's harder to learn virtually. Mm -hmm. um, and so as a, as a junior you know, analyst, it, become, it, it is much more challenging. Well, what are our analysts doing to overcome that? Well, you gotta be proactive. You gotta be proactive about calling, you know, and not just you know, the instant message, because that often is hard, especially on complicated questions. You either got to call another analyst or your associate or your VP. You got to Zoom with them. You got to be proactive about making question lists. You got to be proactive about kind of, you'll get training at most banks. You'll get kind of the initial training, but you got to spend a Saturday, a Sunday, uh, an afternoon, an evening going through a model, building that model from scratch, doing it yourself, and then going back and asking the, the relevant questions. It, it, unfortunately, you know, that falls on, on the analyst um, and, and, um, and it is a little bit tougher at the junior level. At the more senior level, look, you know, fundamentally this job is, is, a, is, a, is a people facing job. And so you kind of need that interaction. 
Uh, and I very much think that ultimately once, once kind of COVID is behind us, it'll go back to, you know, in-person meetings, uh, in-person decisions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, for the time being, we've been able to be just as efficient as we were uh, pre-pandemic, um, just as uh, busy, if not more busy, and, uh, and, and, and just as capable to execute for our clients yeah. and do it all virtually. And yeah. that is, you know, with the help of Zoom, with the help of phone calls, with the help of much more frequent interaction. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we've made it work. Um, and at the senior level, you know, our MDs, they, you know, frankly, probably touch their clients a little bit more often just because everyone's just a Zoom or a phone call away, uh, which is great uh, and, and helpful. Um, and so that that certainly has, has aided uh, the situation. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, that's really helpful. So look, I think, Zion, the, the biggest takeaway I have from that is you just got to be more proactive, right? People aren't going to babysit you. They're not going to like you know, micromanage or check on you all the time. Like if you don't, if you're not proactive about uh, learning from people and getting the help that you need, then you're probably going to get less of that, right? Just because you're mm -hmm. not the right person. So um, the next question we have is from, uh, and Ramez, I'm going to come back to your question because I had a follow-up for you, but with, from Roham, uh, Roham says, how to spin private equity or asset management summer experience when recruiting for investment banking for a junior summer internship. So I guess like if, you, if he has a PE internship or an asset management internship on his resume, like how does he make that more relevant to banking? Yeah, great question. Look, I, I in your resume would highlight um, the fact that during that PE internship that you did some modeling, maybe you did some valuation, a DCF, a merger model for a portfolio company. Um, you looked at comps, you looked at precedent transactions. Um, you may be interacted with a banker and look through a pitch book and know what that entails, you know, what a bake-off deck might entail. Uh, I, I, I'd put some of that hard line, you know, technical stuff on your resume. If you did it, I'm not saying don't put it on, don't put it on there. If you didn't do it, uh, especially if, you know, someone asks you a question and you're not prepared for it, that that's, you know, that's not what I'm saying whatsoever. But if you did do that kind of technical and had that technical experience, put it on the resume. Um, so it doesn't seem like, you know, for a summer, you, you sat there um, and, you know, just did profiles. That's probably less relevant uh, for a resume. That, that, that's how I would spin it. I would also spin it uh, by saying that, you know, the private equity internship was great, but you're, again, you're looking for, um, you know, the fast-paced dynamic environment where you get to work on a lot of different product types, equity, debt, M&A, sell sides, maybe private placements, et cetera. Uh, and, and banking is the right place uh, for you to do that. Got it. That's that's great advice. Um, so let's see here. Let me come back to Ramez's question. So what are the chances to get into IB for a recent grad from CSU Northridge majoring in finance, landed a financial analyst role with Penny Mac, but no luck with IBs? Um, actually, I, I can probably take this one. Uh, Ramez, I think most... Most of the bigger banks, at least, it depends on what you're aiming for. But if you're aiming for like a bulge bracket or an elite boutique or a middle market bank, like some of these more reputable banks, like I said, um, they're, they're going to have very structured recruiting processes where they primarily hire out of either undergrads uh, or, or uh, business school programs like MBAs, right? And so if you're already recently graduated, you're out of undergrad already. Um, it's going to be pretty hard for you to break into a bank like that. I mean, you might be able to do that at like a smaller regional boutique bank, maybe like, but uh, otherwise, if you're targeting one of these bigger banks, you're probably going to have to go back and get an MBA from a top business school. Uh, I'm talking like top 10, minimum, probably top 20. Uh, otherwise, I think it's going to be pretty tough. But if you want to go like the regional boutique route, um, then there's a lot more factors that go into that, whether it's, you know, in terms of your profile and work experience and GPA and all that. Um, and, you know, I can talk to you more about that offline, uh, just cause this is more personal to you and we don't have to do that here, but George, I don't know if you agree with what I'm saying is like, if you're already at a school and you want to go to a top bank, you probably got to go back and get an MBA. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, look, don't if that's your focus and that's your passion, don't don't disqualify it. Uh, we've certainly hired folks even at the analyst level who um, who were in different seats, um, and maybe they were you know you, you know even did a year of consulting or they did a year of some sort of advisory or something else. Those opportunities um, do come by certainly. It is a little bit more challenging, and again, even more incumbent on you to go network. Uh, the, those opportunities um, do come up. I would say one other thing is. And I'm very uh, guilty of this as well, you know, especially as a junior person, it starts with like picking the, your favorite college, you really have your hopes and dreams set on one thing. And then if it doesn't necessarily work out, it's very devastating. But I will tell you, in the grand scheme of things, as long as you're kind of hardworking, dedicated, persistent, you'll figure it out. And maybe it won't be that first uh, place that you want to land, but you'll still get there one way or another. And frankly, you may uh, may end up in the place you want to be or in another place and you may be much more happier uh, or maybe um, a much better fit for you, et cetera, et cetera. So don't get upset if it doesn't you know, work out the first time or doesn't work out exactly the way you planned. Uh, life has a lot of uh, twists and turns. Things happen for a reason. And, and oftentimes you end up in an even better position, but you do have to be hardworking. You have to be, you know, you have to show that perseverance, you have to network, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Uh, that's great advice. So, Ramez, um, if you want to talk more about this, feel free to uh, just message me on Facebook Messenger and uh, we can talk in private, all right? Uh, let me get through some of these other questions. Some people are coming with questions that um, and they haven't gotten a chance to ask. So Shivam asked, what do you recommend focusing on above all else, technicals or behaviorals? So this is the question that we get all the time. Like, which is more important, <laughs> the technical interview or the behavioral interview, in your opinion? Yeah, look, I think it's a mix. Um, I think in an interview, you really have to be able to sell why you want to do finance, why you want to do banking. I'd, 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 on top of that, add why you want that particular investment bank or that particular group. Um, you know, you have to come off as hardworking. Your resume will show that, but you have to be able to walk through your resume and describe it. Um, you have to be come off in, at most institutions as a team player, someone that will fit well, um, a go-getter and someone that will show initiative. I think that's hugely important. And, uh, and you'll be tested on that, but you'll also definitely be tested on the technicals. Um, and look, if you're going for an internship, we understand that they're at the interview level that, you know, if you're a sophomore, you probably don't know the technicals as well as someone that's been doing the job for a couple of years. So those interviews are calibrated. Uh, but you know, you should be working with Sam to go through key technicals, uh, to understand, you know, how perhaps a DCF might work, how a whack is calculated, et cetera, et cetera. Like you, you, long story short, you will be tested on both uh, and, and need to have the skill set nailed for both. Yeah, I, I always tell people like neither of these things are nice to have. They're they're both mandatory, right? Uh, but I, I find that in my experience, students tend to spend a lot more time on learning the technicals and, and understandable because that's that's one of those things where if you go into an interview and they ask you a technical question that you don't know how to answer. It's going to be very, very obvious, right? Whereas with the behaviorals, people kind of feel like, hey, if I get asked something that I'm not really sure about, I can maybe just kind of wing it and come up with something on the spot. Although in my experience, at least, you know, having worked with, you know, about 300 clients at this point, what we've seen typically is like, we've had clients that have gotten offers, even when they maybe messed up on one or two technicals during the interviews, but they were really, really stellar on the behavioral side in terms of like totally. presenting themselves as a, as a person who's a good fit for the firm. But I've never seen anyone who has mediocre behavioral answers and nailed every single technical question and gotten a job just because of that. Right. Because totally. Totally. At the end of the day, from a banker's perspective, you guys can teach them all the technical stuff they need to know, but you can't really change someone's personality or turn someone who's if this is someone that you don't really want to work with you can't really turn them into someone that you enjoy working with right totally and so yeah and uh yeah i i'd add um i'd add that um i'd be you know in an interview if someone asks you a technical question you don't know a i'd be very upfront about that and be like look i don't know i'm happy to take a you know an, a, an educated guess about how to do this but i wouldn't try to bullshit um bullshit your way through I'd, I'd be up front and to sam's point i totally agree we, you know we hire candidates all the time that you know we don't expect you to know all the technicals maybe you don't answer all the technicals 100 percent, but you do show up on on the behavioral points and and the other thing i'd add there is you know 
if, if you're getting interviewed by a full group and not just, you know, a certain subsect of a group, typically you'll be interviewed by an MD, you know, a VP, analyst associates. And it's oftentimes that, you know, the MDs, the directors, the VPs, they're the ones that spend more time on the behavioral questions as opposed to the technical questions. And guess what? If you can't prove to them that you check boxes on the behavioral side, having them, you know, not in your camp or against you when it comes time to making a decision, that's, that's the toughest. Having them on your side when it comes time to make a decision, that's the best place you want to be. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, how are we doing on time, George? You got time for one more? I got one yeah, more. Yeah, no problem. All right, cool. Um, so let's do one more. So this one's from Salar. He says, how to successfully lateral from a lower middle market firm to a middle market investment bank with no closed deals in the first year, mainly focused on debt advisory and acquisition finance? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, candidly, uh, in my first year as an analyst, again, it was a weird time coming out of the Great Recession. I didn't have too much to speak about in terms of um, live deal experience. But part of the reason you're out interviewing is because you want a broader experience and you want more deal exposure and you want more client exposure. It's an excellent argument uh, to go out and to be interviewing and people will buy that argument and you want to transition to... Um, you know, call it a more dynamic platform. So um, I, I think you've got the, 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 the speech right there when you go out and interview. And maybe, you know, maybe it's banking, maybe you're transitioning into the capital markets arm uh, or a leveraged finance arm or an equity capital markets arm uh, of a larger bank. But that, that could be an interesting uh, role or seat for you coming out of a place where maybe you did a little bit of acquisition finance previously. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just add a little bit of my own thoughts to that. Like, I mean, not just, you know, whether you're going from lower middle market to middle market or you're trying to go from middle market to bulge bracket or whatever, right? Like if you're trying to lateral or you're, you're trying to lateral from outside of banking to to into banking, because, you know, we, we've also had clients that try to go from doing audit at KPMG uh, into banking. We've had a couple of clients like that, actually, or from valuation into banking. Uh, not like George, where he was interning valuation, but, the, you know, these people are doing valuation full time and then trying to lateral into banking. But anytime you're trying to lateral, I would say like lateral opportunities are more ad hoc, right? Like they only come up um, when there's a need by the firm. Like, like, like George said, like maybe somebody quit and left early or sometimes maybe the firm under hired during like a 0809 situation or during, you know, 2020 during COVID, people under hired. And then when the market rebounds, and deal activity picked back up and all of a sudden they're understaffed, that's typically when banks will hire laterals, right? So one, you have to, you have to like keep your eyes open and, and like stay on top of what's going on in the markets and know when these opportunities are going to come up, right? And, and there are certain things you can do to kind of stay on top of, you know, job opportunities and setting up job alerts on different websites and things like that, uh, which we teach our clients to do, but I won't get into the weeds here. Um, the other thing is like, look, because it's so ad hoc, a lot of it, in my experience, is going to come down to your networking, right? Like even when there is a lateral opportunity, especially at some of these bigger banks, it's not like a firm-wide thing. It's not like they're hiring laterals across the firm. It's like one specific pocket inside the firm We'll be hiring laterals like this group that happens to have a need will be hiring laterals right and like even when i lateral from deutsche bank to morgan stanley like the way i found out about it was because i had an acquaintance i don't even i wouldn't even say a friend i had an acquaintance from college who was an analyst at morgan stanley and their staffer went to the bullpen and said hey we're looking for two new analysts we're two lateral hires uh do you guys know anyone that would be good for for, for the positions and then like they just went out to their uh, personal networks and and my acquaintance reached out and was like hey he knew i was at deutsche bank hey uh we're looking for a lateral are you interested and i was like yeah i'm interested um and then like within a week i had gone through the entire like first round phone screen with the staffer to the in-person interview to the super day to having the offer that happened within a week right and so if i didn't have that connection with someone who was already in that group you know, in the right group at the right time, I probably wouldn't have heard about the opportunity. And then like a week later, the opportunity is gone. 
and then that's it, right? And then, and then you missed it. And so my point is, you really got to build out your network. You really got to try to get to know as many people and as many of these places as possible. I'm not even talking about like, oh, know people at every single firm. It's almost like you have to know people at the group level, because if you know someone in the wrong group and they're not the ones hiring, you still might not hear about the opportunity, right? So, so I think networking is going to be absolutely critical for you. Um, and look, again, if that's something that you're not really sure how to approach it or how to go about it, that's something that we um, help our clients with in detail. So happy to talk to you about that. Again, message me on Facebook Messenger if you want to do that and uh, happy, to, ha happy to speak further about it, okay? Um, I think... We're out of time, guys. We've already, uh, we've gone over by eight minutes. Um, George, I want to thank you again for taking so much time to just give all this uh, genuine and candid advice to um, to kind of like our, our listeners here. And uh, I'm sure people got a lot out of this. I learned a lot out of this, even though I've already been in banking and <laughs> it's always just good to catch up. Um, and uh, look, best of luck, man, with your, uh, with your promotion next week. Uh, if you get it, you know, drinks on you the next time I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah. And happy to do it. And, and, and great to, great to chat with everyone. Thank you for the questions. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that'll be it for uh, this week. We'll be back, back again next Tuesday around the same time with another live stream for you guys on probably a different topic. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Later. Take care. All right. I, uh, Took off the live stream. Okay. I think we're off. Give me one second. Just make sure. Um, refresh. Okay. Yeah, we're good. That was awesome, man. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Happy to do it. Yeah, sound like good questions, good participation. So thanks for uh, inviting that me. Was, that was the, just so you know, that was the highest attendance that I've ever had on a live stream. How many people? uh at the peak i think we hit all the way up to 30 so and i know wow. and i know a bunch of people are probably going to watch the replay later before like the highest i had ever gotten was maybe like 10 so, yeah man I, I think maybe i got to do more of these in the future i think people enjoy talking to actual bankers than than than, than people like me who are not in banking anymore <laughs> <laughs> Usually, either way no that's awesome yeah that's awesome and then you get people re-watching it and there's a network effect so yeah, that's awesome, man. Usually I'm just monologuing and like doing some sort of training and, you know, I don't know. I guess that's not as interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as long as they're asking questions, then, then you're yeah, gonna, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's all. Uh, when, I, when I get back to the States, whenever that may be, uh, let me, let me know. Let, yeah, let's, um, let's grab drinks. Hopefully it's in a, in a better, better world. <laughs> Well, that, that's what I'm kind of waiting for before I go back. So, right, right. Uh, I was right. supposed, I was, I came in August and I was, we were thinking we were going to stay out here for six months and go back in February, but clearly it's January now and it doesn't really look like things are that much better. So, uh, right. No rush. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now we're thinking it might be like June or something, but I'll keep you posted, man. And, uh, you know, let me get you a drink because I owe you. And, uh, you know, I would love to catch up on a more personal level too, obviously. Sounds good. Yeah, let's do it. I got to I gotta run, but um, let, let's chat soon, Sam. I'll, I'll see you when you're back in the States too. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Take care, buddy. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one -on -one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wall, stmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.